Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Maeve Marsden and welcome to Queer Stories, the podcast for the LGBTQI plus storytelling night I host and program. Queer Stories events happen regularly in Sydney, Brisbane and Melbourne, and I'm also now hosting them in regional towns. If you enjoy these stories, please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast and consider buying a copy of the Queer Stories book, a collection of 26 of the stories edited by me and published by Hachette. I'm really proud of this collection and I hope you enjoy it too. Crusader Hillis is a writer, editor, curator and producer. He co-founded, with Roland Thompson, the queer bookshop Hares and Hyenas. Since 1991, Hares and Hyenas has presented more than a thousand literary performance events, both in Melbourne on site and interstate. Crusader performed at the Melbourne book launch for the Queer Stories book in September 2018. I'd like to acknowledge that we're meeting on Wurundjeri land and if there are any Wurundjeri people in here tonight, I hope you welcome me here. The Wurundjeri are of the Woiwurrung First Nation and they have alliances with other First Nations and clans that border these lands. Um, I pay my respects to the Wurundjeri, the Boonwurrung, the Tongarong, the Jadawurrung and the Wathaurong people of the Kulin Nations. Always is Aboriginal land. In 1978, my best friend and mainstay, then and still, Roland Thompson moved to Canberra for study. During a break, he came back to Melbourne and stayed in my share house in North Fitzroy. He brought back with him Patti Smith, New York Dolls and television records and through one memorable afternoon we played them all and the die was cast. Over the next few months Roland, back in Melbourne, collected more punk music from here and overseas and his vinyl collection grew exponentially. We saw punk bands during the day at Melbourne University and other campuses and at night at venues mostly in Fitzroy, Carlton and St Kilda. He was 22, I was 21. We were old for the scene. We knew people as young as 15 who were going out regularly and I had a car and so we made friends quickly. Within a year we'd formed the Delicatessens, an up to 14-piece punk cabaret cover band which reworked pop songs and covered some of punk scene's favourite bands and songs, always to their displeasure. (laughs) Our music was atrocious, pretty much on purpose. It was described as Dada-esque happenings. The energy of so many people on stage and the cacophony that we created was a draw card and we got bookings at the Crystal Ballroom, the Prince of Wales and the Expert Hotel as well as a bunch of pop-up events across the city. Dolores San Miguel was running the Crystal Ballroom at the time and she was a fan and put us on as support acts to well-known local bands. We also performed regularly at the Little Bands Night at the Champion Hotel in Fitzroy and our anarchic approach fitted in well with what were mostly electronic and experimental post-punk ensembles with real musical credentials. Roland was also a member of the Beaumaris Tennis Club Quartet, a costumed parody trio 
and the more serious Human Backs, a post-punk electronica trio which did quite a lot of cabaret and live cooking on stage. <laughs> and they went on to support Dead Can Dance in their last Melbourne performance and also the birthday party when they left Melbourne to go to England. And then both of those bands went on to achieve international success. The Human Backs put out at least one... Was it a CD by that stage? Cassette. Thank you, Roland. <laughs> the Crystal Ballroom and Fitzroy Streets and Kilda gathered all sorts of bands and audiences and people travelled from all over to get there. It also got the big international punk bands that packed the entire venue. Roland and I and others in our gang developed a unique movement at the Crystal Ballroom where a group of up to 12 of us would get on our hands and knees, hold on to the person in front and move from the back of the room around the legs of the crowd to travel the 30 or 40 metres to the very front of the room. Then we just popped up where we found space and we always got the best standing room in the entire venue. Roland and I had been best friends for five years, for five years before we became lovers, and, but we'd come out to one another a couple of years earlier than that. We lived in an inner city bubble where our friends, housemates and workmates, all straight, accepted us totally. When we hit the Melbourne punk scene, we found the same attitude. Every night we found somewhere to go and see a band, crash a gallery launch or see some performance art with a list of geographically sorted parties to follow. The punk scene was at its height shortly after gay liberation movement in Melbourne began. There were a lot of queers in the scene, but it wasn't necessarily their main identity. Sexuality and gender expression were more fluid and most of my male sexual partners were ostensibly straight but we found ourselves in sexual situations that were not a cause for panic or concern for either of us. It was a time of experimentation and I never felt sidelined because of my sexuality. However, I also had the good instincts about who was uncomfortable hanging around with faggots and I didn't seek those people out. When we went out together away from the punk scene, sometimes to gay clubs, we did it in intoxicated packs. Straight, gay, male, female, a mix of all. Melbourne was tipping from punk into post-punk and we dressed in a mix of black garb and clashing colours and shapes as new wave and pre-new romantic fashions were hitting the scene. We stood out, which we liked, and mostly we were accepted. Women were huge contributors in the punk and post-punk music scene and I rarely witnessed sex sexist displays. My friends were made up of pretty much equal numbers of men and women and some who defied any easy definition. Occasionally it was dangerous. There was often harassment on the streets and you were a target for being pulled over by the police just for walking home late at night. It happened three times one night with Roland memorably kicking a, the, um, the wheels of the police car in frustration and eventually they came over and said, are you okay? And he said, this has happened three times and we're very sorry. And then we just went home after that. <laughs> in my early 20s, sex was memorable for the public places that happened. My inhibitions would be gone through alcohol or drugs. I had sex in cars, in parks, behind the black plastic sheeting downstairs at the Crystal Ballroom, in the women's toilet during a pub night, on a back backyard lawn during a busy party, and at the St Kilda Triangle where sex was sold in cars, and behind the back wall of a Greek nightclub. 
I picked up one partner at a concert. It was early 1980. I'd taken half a body, bottle of tiny asthma tablets that I bought from the chemist. They cost $2 for 100. The effects lasted about three hours and felt like a combination of low-grade speed and rehypnol. I was very confident, but I was very uncoordinated. <laughs> I'd spoken to him at a party the week before. He was a bass player in two bands. He was a few years older than me and he had a rangy body and craggy good looks. He was flattered when I told him he was good looking and we'd spent the first of many nights together. Within days, he and I were using drugs together, my first time intravenously. Over the next few months, our occasional sex was comradely, not passionate, mostly about the drugs. In public, though, it was often a spectacle. One night I sucked his cock in a car ride home from a party where we had sex on a sofa for three hours while our straight friends grabbed drinks from the esky next to us. <laughs> I slept at his house every couple of weeks, slipping unannounced through his housemate's front window. None of his housemates minded me being there, including his on-again, off-again girlfriend, who sometimes I bumped into in his bed or maybe just changed places with. Neither of us came very often during sex, but we shared blood. Hepatitis B was rampant and it was talked about. Some of my friends were carriers, but most recovered, and it would be another 12 years before the hepatitis, test, hepatitis C test would be available revealing an epidemic of infection amongst my music scene friendship group. Roland and I first fucked on the night of a federal election in October 1980. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only reason we can actually remember and find out <laughs> the date. And it actually took us about 15 years to actually work out which election. It was after a party above where the black cat is now on Brunswick Street. I was sharing his bed, as I often did when I was between houses, which I often was. I don't remember if we started out sleep-fucking or we were fully conscious, but despite our clumsy fumblings, we both came pretty quickly. <laughs> the next morning, Roland said, I thought you'd be more confident. You've had plenty of sex. <clears throat> He'd noticed I was shy and reticent about my body and about taking initiative. He didn't sound disappointed, he was only curious. I'm not sure if I answered. I didn't have a language to speak about what had just happened between us. But it was the first time <clears throat> someone I had sex with had asked me how I had felt about it. Within two months of getting together with Roland, I moved to Sydney and stayed there for 16 months. We saw each other at least once a month Hitchhiking from Sydney to Melbourne and back again, usually with female friends, became an affordable way of maintaining contact. I moved back to Melbourne in April 1982 after a fairly traumatic bashing by a dozen skinheads on the way home from a club. We've never had an exclusive relationship, but it wasn't until the end of the 1980s that we started to experiment more widely with sex. The UK second summer of love hit Melbourne in, the early, in early 1989, and Ronald and I worked on the door of a club that modelled itself on the movement's acid house music and trippy hedonism. And the owners of the, of the night had lived that entire year in England just before, so they were still very high. 
Um, and also a shout out to the first reader, I'm high too. It was on one of these nights that I met a Singaporean pilot and went with him to 55 Porter Street, a gay sauna. In the late 1980s and 1990s, saunas were often packed at the weekends. I discovered the joy of the dark room. Not only was the place pitch black, silence was encouraged. Tail dropped, cock out, it was thrilling to be desired by so many available men. I'd found the place where I was no longer shy. The dark gave me permission to explore. Our bookshop, performance venue and community hub that we co-create, Hairs and Hyenas, is built on the ethos and organising principles of punk. It's a place of free expression where the only question is, what are the technical requirements? We need a place that doesn't judge, a place that keeps the words of the last century alive for new readers while opening up the words and ideas of the present and the future. We need a place that brings the experience of the most marginalised queers to the centre. And Hairs and Hyenas is that place. Hairs and Hyenas was named after a dream role and had of John Boswell's 1980 book, Christianity, Sol Social Tolerance and Homosexuality, which in many ways rivals Foucault in queering theory, especially back that far back. And the book has artworks of hares, hyenas, moles, weasels and stoats as animals associated with divergent sexuality um, and gender. And I bet you're asking yourself why we didn't call ourselves weasels, uh, moles, weasels and stoats. But, you know, <laughs> it was always the plan for the um, second-hand bookshop. We, we never quite got around to opening. <laughs> Those animals stood in this book and um, in his study as being homosexual, intersex, transgender, gender-changing, night animals, witches, companions. That is us, we thought. About a week before opening, Roland woke up in the night and said, hares and hyenas, and then the shop was born. It was a perfect name to call a bookshop that imagined its customers coming also from, the, from beyond the binary of the times, which was gay and lesbian. That vision persists, and 27 years later, we're as relevant today as when we opened, and maybe more so. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review the Queer Stories podcast to boost my ego and help spread the word. For tickets and dates, follow Queer Stories on Facebook. And for late night rants and photos of my dog Frank, follow me, Maeve Marsden, on Twitter. For discount tickets to my shows, as well as other perks, become a supporter of my work on Patreon for as little as $4 a month. Details on MaeveMarsden.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.